It's 5 p.m. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed. In today's top stories, the Virgin Islands Department of Education responds to an incident involving a school monitor and a student at the Eulalie Rivera School on St. Croix. Private water haulers who provided services to battle fires at the Bovoni landfill in July and October says they still have not been paid for their services. We speak with United Steelworkers District 9 Director Daniel Flippo, who says that VIA is moving customer service jobs out of the territory. These stories and more on today's WTJX Newsfeed. From the Virgin Islands Public Broadcasting System Studios on St. Thomas, this is the WTJX Newsfeed with Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed bringing you the latest news and updates throughout our community. This week, video began to circulate throughout the community of an incident at the Eulalie Rivera Pre-K through 8 school on St. Croix. The incident involved a school monitor and a student. In the video, the monitor is seen standing over the student, verbally accosting them, at one point seeming to hit the student with what appears to be a yellow plastic wiffle bat. What you are about to hear is the audio from those videos. We've edited the audio to censor the profanity. However, please note the audio is still disturbing in nature. In response to the incident, the Virgin Islands Department of Education issued a statement stating they were fully committed to conducting a thorough investigation. In light of the ongoing investigation, Superintendent Irisilda Otley Herman affirmed that the department will diligently gather accurate information and implement all necessary protocols, stating the department remains steadfast in its commitment to transparency and ensuring a resolution to the matter at hand. It is alleged that the student in question may be a child with a disability. Jamila Russell, the former Territorial American with Disabilities Act coordinator, says that from the video, it's clear that further training in de-escalation needs to be done. Number one, no violence against a child should be accepted on any level. Um, as professionals, everybody should be trained to deal and, and diffuse situations. Um, it is clear from what has been reported that um, none of the individuals appears to have been trained in how to de-escalate a situation, especially when it comes to a child with a disability. Um, I would be calling on the Disabilities Rights Center, and I would be making inquiries with the Department of Education to figure out where they are in their investigation and to make sure that the paraprofessionals, the one who engage in that, and um, all of the personnel at that school receive the training in addition to whatever disciplinary action that the department deems appropriate. We reached out to the Disability Rights Center of the Virgin Islands Executive Director Angus Drago, who stated that he did not have enough context to provide comments, but that his office is available to the family of the student if needed. The Virgin Islands Police Department is asking for help to locate a missing minor on the island of St. Croix. 16-year-old Philippe Casanova, also known as Lil Papa, 
was last seen at 4 p.m. Monday in the Red Brick area, wearing a black t-shirt and basketball shorts. He is described as a Hispanic male, 5'7", with long black hair, dark brown eyes, weighing about 120 pounds. He is known to frequent the Red Brick and Castle Coakley area. Anyone with information is asked to contact Police Officer Joseph at the Anselmo Marshall Command at 340-773-2530 or Crime Stoppers VI at 1-800-222-8477. A police detective is facing criminal charges in Florida after West Palm Beach police said he caused a drunken disturbance at a strip club and resisted arrest even as officers use a taser to try and force him to comply with commands. St. Thomas Police Detective Richard Velasquez was arrested on December 5th and charged with disorderly intoxication, trespassing, and resisting an officer without violence. Virgin Islands Police Department spokesman Glenn Drake stated that he could confirm the arrest but could not provide any additional information. Velasquez, who is not a U.S. Marshal, is reported to have continuously shown security staff at the Rachel's Gentleman Club a U.S. Marshal badge as he was repeatedly asked to exit the establishment after he was described as stumbling around the bar. Police said Velasquez was slurring his speech, had red glassy eyes, and smelled of alcohol. He refused to leave the property and continued to use profanities against officers. Velasquez was eventually tackled to the ground, where officers attempted to place flex cuffs on him, with Velasquez continuously resisting arrest by pulling his hands away. Velasquez was eventually tased after reportedly refusing to comply with officers' commands. Officers still struggled to gain compliance of Velasquez, but was eventually successful in placing him into custody. Court records indicate that Velasquez was released on his own recognizance, and he pleaded not guilty to all charges. A pretrial hearing is scheduled for December 18th. We made attempts to reach Commissioner Ray Martinez, who could not be reached as of press time. At a November Homeland Security, Justice, and Public Safety Committee meeting that was held on St. John, residents voiced concerns to lawmakers over the community's public safety, giving a spike in crime on the island. Absent from that meeting was representation from the Virgin Islands Police Department. To that, Senator Franklin Johnson lambasted Police Commissioner Ray Martinez and called members of the department cowards. Because they look like the cowards are the cops. They had the balls to come inside here today and talk. Just even listen to you. Because of the commissioner's absence, Senator Johnson moved to subpoena the commissioner whenever he was requested to testify. On December 6th, however, Commissioner Martinez appeared before the Committee on Health, Hospitals and Human Services, to testify in support of legislation that would temporarily remove firearms from a person who may be a threat to themselves or others. At yesterday's Homeland Security hearing to examine safety and security for the Crucian Christmas Festival, Senator Johnson, who was appearing virtually, and Commissioner Martinez engaged for the first time publicly since the St. John hearing. I say to Commissioner Martinez, I'm very disappointed thus far in your performance, and I don't dump bullets, I don't hide, I don't afraid to say what I have to say. I'm very disappointed. I want to ask you this question. Has there been a budget established for overtime festival? Mr. Chairman, until such time that your colleague apologizes to my officers for calling them cowards, I, nor my executive team, nor anybody that I sent to represent the VIPD while I'm here under this tenure, 
will be responding to anything, whether verbal or written, from your colleague. And, and Mr. Chair, Mr. Chair, that's why when I say subpoena them, we should have subpoena them. He should never be in front of us without a subpoena. We started off wrong. And as long as we continue letting people like this, who put beggars begging for support, who come in front of us to be disrespectful, I have a right to call you, Commissioner Martinez, a coward. And there's no apology, none from me, none whatsoever. I didn't come to you. You came to me begging. Don't, remember uh, that. Uh, remember uh, that. Don't uh, ever lie to me. Uh, Do not of, ever point lie of order. Me. Point, point of order. Committee Chair Senator Kenneth Gittins moved for a two-minute recess. And when they came back on record, Senator Johnson eventually moved for a point of personal privilege to share that he would no longer continue to be a part of the hearing and disconnected the call. St. John Administrator Shakima Jones-Sprow has been posting recently on social media calls for owners of abandoned marine vessels to remove them from the shores of Cruise Bay. She's working in collaboration with the Department of Planning and Natural Resources on what she says is more enforcement to keep St. John's shores clean. In St. John, we're working on uh, cleaning up the shorelines and the beaches in those areas. And some people may think that access to the beach can be private, but access to the beach from the water is not private. And it's our job to protect our seashore as best as we possibly can and access those lovely residents that we have throughout the territory to do the same by not leaving abandoned vessels, inflatable dinghies, cracked trash kayaks all over the place. We just recently um, went out with DP on our enforcement tagging some of those those dialect vessels and making sure that everyone is aware that this is happening we're going to move forward with more enforcement as in out in our water base with unregistered boats unregistered moorings illegal moorings and all stuff like that you know just purifying the place and keeping our water line and our sea clean as much as possible administrator joan sprout says residents should be aware of cleaning to the guts as the territory moves into the rainy season we're also in St. John making sure that we keep our guts and our waterways areas clean and clear of any kind of debris because this is the time of the season where we see a lot of heavy rain falls. So we want to make sure that those areas have free-flowing water when needed. You're listening to the WTJX News Feed. The United Steelworkers District 9 Director Daniel Flippo, who oversees tens of thousands of union members in the U.S. Virgin Islands and seven southern states, stated that VIA is moving their customer service jobs out of the territory. What VIA has notified us is that their intent is to move the customer service people, employees, from the Virgin Islands, from St. Thomas and St. Croix to Guyana. The effect of this would be that we would have a layoff of our customer service people on both islands, and what would be left would be essentially the service people, people that climb the poles, that splash the wires, the infrastructure of the communication, and, and all of the customer service would be transferred over to Guyana, which would result in, uh, at this point, 16 to 20 different employees being severed from VIA. Mr. Flippo stated that cost savings was the reasoning VIA gave to them for the move. In a letter to the United Steelworkers staff representatives, Jerry Jackson, VIA stated that as they prepare for 2024, their mission is to reinforce a winning, customer-first mindset 
to solidify their operating model and deliver on their customer promise. They continued that every decision that they make is from the vantage point of putting the customer first and providing quality customer care and first-time resolution. The only reason they've really given is that other companies have done this, has transferred their customer service to sites that, that have less labor cost and that is allegedly cheaper to operate and that they're doing that in order to keep up with their competition. I disagree with that, although some companies, your bigger companies, AT&T and others, have in fact done that. Uh, there are many other companies that haven't, that has kept cuts customer service within their their ranks, which kept it within their infrastructure, wherever they operate. In the letter, VIA referenced two articles on lightreading.com titled, The Telecom Industry Looks Rotten to the Core, and AT&T Seems on a Mission to Be a Zero-Employee Telco. Mr. Flippo stated that as the telecommunications company has transitioned over the years, their union members have also reduced because of those transitions. If you go back to the history of VIA, it comes from Vitelco. Uh, when there was Vitelco, there were over 200 to 300 employees. And now we're down about 125. Uh, we expect that with, you know, the Internet and technology. Uh, but there's still plenty of jobs that these guys are doing now that should remain in the Virgin Islands. So uh, there's no doubt that VIA has, has had a goal of outsourcing and moving their work uh, to different parts of the, of the world, actually, pay, just searching for the least wage that they can find. And we think it's going to affect customer service, and it's certainly going to affect our workers on the Virgin Islands. Via further stated in the letter that affected members would be offered a voluntary separation incentive that includes 10 weeks of severance pay, COBRA benefits for three months, and continue discount VIA services for three months. Mr. Flippo stated they have filed a grievance against VIA and plan to fight the move. Our contract with VIA expires in September of 2024. As opposed to waiting to negotiations, as they have before, and having the conversation to get the input from the, our members about the best way to go about this and how we can work together to keep VIA in the Virgin Islands, we get the notification that they're just moving the job to Guyana. And that's that's disturbing because our members know the, the system, our members know the jobs, and we're grieving it and we will fight it and do everything we can to protect our members on the Virgin Islands and their jobs. We reached out to representatives for VIA for comments and have not yet heard back from them. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for USBI News. I'm Emily Matson. Former USVI news anchor Emily Matson died on Monday in what officials are saying is a suicide. Matson died after being hit by a train in Fairview Township in her native of Erie, Pennsylvania. According to the New York Post, colleagues describe Matson as upbeat and fearless. She worked for Erie News Now for 19 years, most recently as an anchor of the weekday newscast at 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. She was 42 years old. Senator Diane Capehart recently led a delegation of her colleagues to various states in support of legislation she's sponsoring to establish a real-time crime center, centralized crime data system within the Virgin Islands Police Department. The measure made it out of the Committee on Rules and Judiciary 
and will now be considered by the full body. Well, I'm very happy to see that it made it out of rules. And my reason for even asking my colleagues to accompany me on the tour was so they can actually have a visual and a clear understanding of how all the tools that we have already existing at the police department, how they all tie into a hub, which would be the Crew Real-Time Crime Center. We actually visited three uh, real crime time centers. Um, the last one was called a City Watch. They don't call it a uh, real-time crime center, but it does the same thing. Senator Capehart and colleagues like Senator Maurice James and Senator Dwayne DeGraff also toured charter schools on the mainland with the goal of, as Senator Capehart says, is diversifying the education options in the territory. You know, when I was in the 30th legislature, I researched and I was trying to do a bill also with uh, charter schools. And I don't think a different way of teaching our children would harm. And charter schools, as we know, they are, they are throughout the United States. And I wanted to also um, have my colleagues uh, accompany me so we could actually see how this works. Um, Senator Marie James, who is the chairperson for education, she was on that tour and also the community schools. So um, I glad I got her buy-in where we actually saw it firsthand and see how charter schools um, operate. Senator Capehart said she'd like to see a pilot program first before schools like these come to fruition in the territory. I think the first thing, of course, is having meetings with uh, Department of Education because, you know, we need their buy-in. You know, for me, I'm thinking a pilot project. You're listening to the WTJX Newsfeed. When lawmakers were updated by Vitima Director Daryl Joshin, on the after-effects related to the October Bovoni landfill fire in St. Thomas. Senator Milton Potter stated that he learned from private water haulers who aided relief efforts that they still have not been paid for their services. In the aftermath of the first fire, and I believe took place in July, we worked collectively with uh, Director Daryl George, uh, as well as representatives from the Waste Management Authority, and I spoke directly with Louis Sylvester, between Louis Sylvester of the WMA and Daryl George of Fire, we arrived at what we, what we determined to be the anticipated cost to pay the private water haulers who we relied on, who we depended on. So we specifically um, identified, I initiated, and my colleagues unanim unanimously supported $200,000 to pay these um, private water haulers. And to my astonishment, feedback that I've gotten from uh, some of the water haulers is that we still have not been paid. We spoke with one of those private water haulers, Elita Bradshaw of Bradshaw Water Delivery, who confirmed that she has yet to be paid for water she delivered for not only the October fire, but also the fire that occurred in July at the landfill. I did trucking in July and I haven't received any payment as yet. But however, last week I've been in contact with one of the fire chiefs and he indicated to me that they was going to be paying for the first fire in, that we, they had in July. 
and they are trying to see if the money could be appropriated from their fire budget and then have a reimbursement. Ms. Bradshaw stated that the lack of payment has caused a strain on her small business. I had to make payments to my worker and I had to make payments to retrieve the water and I haven't received any payment to balance my accounts. Ms. Bradshaw maintained that she has submitted all the necessary documentation and hopes that she can be paid before the end of the year. I submitted all my invoices and I called to speak to Sylvester and I haven't heard anything from him as yet. Everybody is indicating that finance is not making any payments. So I don't know what's going on. But I know monies was appropriated for these fires through the Senate. As we continue in the news feed, we turn now to our regional report. Soka fans across the world were shocked by the news of the passing of Antigua and Soka artist Ricardo Drew early yesterday. Reports indicate that he was rushed to the Sir Lester Bird Medical Center on Antigua just before noon after he was found unresponsive. A cause of death has not yet been shared. Drew was engaged to fellow Soka artist Patrice Roberts, who he shares a young daughter with. Patrice confirmed the news on Instagram, captioning, I'd do anything to hear your voice. Drew was also scheduled as a headliner for the We Love Soka Night on January 3rd during the Cruisian Christmas Festival Village. Virgin Islands songwriter and friend of Ricardo Drew, Jamal Culture Miller of Seven Flags Creative Group, said Ricardo was one of the hardest working artists. Ricardo, that, that is probably one of the most hardworking artists that I, that I know personally, never afraid to really try something new. Even if you, it didn't work, there was always a, an option to try to figure it out another way. So I always kept trying and I was encouraging those around him to do better. Jamal has written songs with Ricardo like Airborne featuring Destra and Day Ones featuring Blacks. He said Ricardo's legacy will be one that cannot be mirrored. Well, we all need left an impact based on, I guess we can see the reactions of everyone yesterday. But for Antigua's music, he took it outside of Antigua. He's, you know, he's a pioneer for that. He carried a flag with him or in another country wherever he went. Uh, I don't think anyone will ever forget his impact and his influence on music. Probably one of the top three artists from Antigua that will ever be known. Ricardo Drew was 38 years old. In our final updates on the newsfeed, Meteorologist Eric Weglars has the territory's weather forecast. Here's the latest look at the short-term forecast for the Virgin Islands. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. The wind advisory continues area-wide through late tonight into early Thursday. We'll find scattered showers this afternoon in our partly sunny skies. Temperatures will reach the upper 80s at St. Croix. Winds from the east-northeast at 25 to 30 miles per hour. Gusts as high as 35 to 40 at St. Thomas and St. John. We'll also find scattered showers near sunset. Winds are stronger from the east at 30 to 35 with gusts as high as 40 to 45 towards sunset. Tonight, showers will return mainly after midnight. It's partly cloudy area-wide. Temperatures fall back in the low 70s at St. Croix. Winds from the east-northeast at 25 to 30 with gusts over 35. At St. Thomas and St. John, we'll find more scattered showers throughout under mostly cloudy skies. Lows only back into the middle 70s. Winds a bit lighter from the east-northeast at 25 to 30. Gusts, though, as high as 35 to 40. And showers will dominate much of the day on Thursday area-wide. Highs reach the middle 80s at St. Croix. Winds remain strong 
strong from the east-northeast at 15 to 20, with gusts as high as 25 to 30. At St. Thomas and St. John, we'll find scattered showers as well, numerous showers, in fact, with highs in the middle 80s. Winds from the east-northeast at 20 to 25, with gusts as high as 30. That's the latest look at the short-term forecast. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. We are at the end of today's WTJX News Feed. I'm Marcelina Ventura-Douglas. Join me every weekday at 5 p.m. If you haven't already, be sure to download the WTJX app. And if you missed a part of our news, you can listen to it on demand wherever you get your podcasts.